iHeartRadio.com. Arise, it's a new day. Hear his word, let us pray. The sunrise morning show. And a way to start your day. It is Monday, the 17th of July. Let's begin together in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, you are a helper close at hand in time of distress. Grant peace of heart to all who are troubled and afraid. You are in our midst when life's ills assail us. Keep our hearts fixed on you amid all disturbances. Your word is the river of life which gives joy to your people. Refresh in prayer all who are burdened. You put an end to war and to the weapons of war. Teach us to lay aside all quarrels and attacks on our neighbors. Almighty and ever-living God, your word is the rock in which we take refuge against all outward disturbance and inner turmoil. Pour forth upon your people the refreshing stream of living water, which wells up from the heart of your Son, that we may dwell together in inward and outward peace. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. It is a better way to start a Monday morning, the Sunrise Morning Show, here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Up this hour, we got some fascinating stuff to talk about. Kevin Schmeezing will join us for a look at this week in Catholic history. Wouldn't be a Monday morning if we didn't start things off that way. Father Philip Loray is going to be along from Humanity 2.0. He, of course, joins us from the Vatican and is a Thomist and an... Uh, well, he talks a lot about artificial intelligence and that kind of stuff, too. We're going to talk about a recent Twitter account that took the political world by storm. Only problem was it wasn't real. So uh, some interesting implications of that conversation. More on the Church Fathers in the Catechism with Father John Gavin. Also, Father Patrick Briscoe gets us ready for World Youth Day coming up here pretty soon. So stay with us if you can. Right now, it is two minutes past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Extreme heat continues to bake the U.S. Southwest. Mark Mayfield has more. Forecasters in Phoenix say Saturday was the hottest day of the year for the city, which hit 118 degrees at Sky Harbor International Airport. In California, Death Valley topped out at over 120 degrees. The heat is expected to continue this week as a high-pressure dome from Texas moves westward. I'm Mark Mayfield. Severe thunderstorms and heavy rain are impacting travelers across the Northeast. FlightAware reports there were more than 9,400 flight delays yesterday. More than 1,700 flights were canceled. The severe weather prompted ground stops at JFK and LaGuardia airports in New York and Newark Airport in New Jersey. Elsewhere, flash flooding in Pennsylvania killed at least five people in recent days. Meanwhile, air quality alerts have been issued for several U.S. states due to thick smoke from Canadian wildfires. The National Weather Service said those included much of Montana, South Dakota, Iowa, Minnesota, Illinois, and Indiana. Yesterday afternoon, officials labeled the air quality in cities like Chicago, Indianapolis, Detroit, and Des Moines as unhealthy. There were nearly 900 active wildfires across Canada over the weekend. During his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis reflected on the Sunday gospel of the parable of the sower, encouraging the faithful to, like Jesus, never tire of sowing goodness. 
From Vatican Radio, Francesca Merlo reports. In commenting on the parable, Pope Francis looked into the image of sowing, focusing on the freedom of the person to accept or not to accept the word that is the seed and insisted on Jesus' obstinacy in trusting that the soil, the heart of each person, can be fruitful. Così fa il Signore. Jesus, the good sower, said the Pope, does not tire of sowing it with generosity. He knows our soil. He knows that the stones of our inconstancy and the thorns of our vices can choke the word, yet he always hopes that we can bear abundant fruit. Pope Francis then went to address, in particular, parents focusing on their task of passing on the faith. The Holy Father noted that parents should not be discouraged if at times their children do not seem to understand or appreciate their teachings. The good seed remains, explained the Pope, and will take root in due time. The Holy Father then turned to young people, and in particular, the ways in which they too can sow the word. The Pope focused especially on prayer and closeness, explaining that it is a small seed that you cannot see, but with which you entrust everything you live to Jesus, and so he can make it ripen. He also urged young people to take the time to dedicate to others, to those most in need. It may seem lost, he said, but in reality this is holy time, while the apparent satisfactions of consumerism and hedonism leave one empty-handed. Finally, Pope Francis addressed priests, religious and lay people, and urged them not to be discouraged if they do not see immediate success when proclaiming the word. Let us never forget, when proclaiming the word, even when nothing seems to be happening, in reality the Holy Spirit is at work and the kingdom of God is already growing through and beyond our efforts. I'm Francesca Merlo. Also during his Angelus address, the Pope recalled the 80th anniversary of a bombing on the San Lorenzo neighborhood of Rome. It happened on July 19, 1943, killing 717 people and injuring more than 4,000 others. And that was just in the San Lorenzo neighborhood. The Holy Father said, quote, unfortunately, even today, these tragedies are repeated. How is this possible? He asked. Have we lost our memory? May the Lord have mercy on us and deliver the human family from the scourge of war, end quote. And Novak Djokovic's quest for a calendar grand slam has come to an end. The four-time defending Wimbledon champion was defeated by top-seeded Carlos Alcaraz in a five-set thriller in the men's final. Alcaraz pulled away in the fifth set to earn his second career grand slam title, the match was the third longest final in Wimbledon history at four hours and 42 minutes. On the women's side, Marketa Vondrusova became the first unseated woman to win Wimbledon, securing her first Grand Slam title. Wait, wait, how long? Four hours and 42 minutes. My goodness. Yeah, it's a long tennis match. You know what? I think I have some ideas for... Uh for maybe reducing the times of a tennis match, if that's an issue. So uh, maybe bigger nets, maybe like a like a serve clock, perhaps. I think they already have that. Oh. So maybe nice you can, try. Um, you're trying to be so cheeky about the baseball, shift. and you're, the shift. you're striking out here, man. You can only break to your left. I'm okay with banning the shift, by the way. I I'm it was fine me. with ban. I love banning the shift. That's the best thing that they've done. And the pitch clock has I th- worked out I say out ban okay. the shift and bring back the intentional four-pitch walk instead of the four-finger walk. Yeah. 
I I don't like the planting somebody on second base in extra innings. No, that's, that's the one rule that I'm really against. That's terrible. That's like kickball rules. Mm-hmm. Well, but banning the shift, you're not going to get me on that one. No, nah, I I don't know why you threw that one in there. Oh, uh, just to just so people would would know, know what I was you were alluding referring to. to baseball. I guess. It is eight minutes past the hour. The Sunrise Morning Show continues, and to take a look at this week in Catholic history, we always like to chat with Kevin Schmeising. He's the author of A Catholic Pilgrimage Through American History, and he's on the Catholic History Trek podcast. Kevin, good morning. Hello, Matt. Good morning. All right, let's talk about some martyrs for our first piece of history. Carmelite martyrs of Compiègne this week back in 1794. Matt, you and I have talked many times about various dimensions of the French Revolution, and this is another chapter in that story. Over the years following the revolution's inception in 1789, it gradually radicalized and also turned violently anti-Catholic. One of the anti-clerical measures enacted essentially disbanded all religious orders. Members were not permitted to wear religious habits or participate in communal religious life. The group we're looking at were Carmelites, that's the order of St. Teresa of Avila, and later, Therese of Lisieux. They resided in a convent about 50 miles north of Paris in the city of Compiègne. Along with other religious houses, their convent was suppressed in 1792, but these nuns committed themselves to preserving their way of life, so they continued living and praying together in secret in Paris. They were eventually discovered, arrested, imprisoned, and condemned to death. This was the period known as the Reign of Terror, during which thousands were killed by the famous guillotine or otherwise. On July 17th, this week in 1794, 16 Carmelites, led by Mother Teresa of St. Augustine, were brought to the guillotine in Paris's public square. As they were transported, they sang hymns of praise together. The first to die, a novice, and the youngest, Sister Constance, began chanting as she walked up to the blade. She was singing a psalm, Laudate Domino, in English, Praise the Lord, all you nations, extol him, all you peoples. His mercy for us is strong. The faithfulness of the Lord is forever. The other sisters took up the chant in turn until the last, Mother Teresa. At her death, the entire square fell silent, which was odd because there was usually a boisterous crowd there. Ten days later, the rule of Maximilian Robespierre was overthrown and the terror ended. The Carmelites have long been hailed as martyrs. They were beatified in 1906. In the 1930s, the German writer and convert Gertrude von Lefort wrote an account, The Song at the Scaffold. You can still find that. Although there has been no formal canonization yet, their cause was renewed last year with the approval of Pope Francis, so July 17th may well soon be a universally recognized feast day for the Carmelite Martyrs of Compiègne, this week, 1794. Circle it on the calendar just in case. In the meantime, since you are the man who wrote A Catholic Pilgrimage Through American History, might as well talk about some American Sisters of Charity. Yeah, it's all about nuns this week, Matt. The Sisters of Charity, uh, July 19th, 1813. Now, listeners may not know that date specifically, but most will know the central player in the event, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. I won't retell the whole story of Elizabeth Seton here, but suffice it to say, after the death of her husband, she converted to Catholicism and entered the church in 1805. A few years later, she opened a school in Baltimore, then another near what is now Mount St. Mary's University in Emmitsburg, Maryland. She was already living basically the life of a religious, and uh, a number of women had gathered around here doing the same, so they began the process of forming a religious order. They borrowed the rule of the Daughters of Charity, that's an 
order founded by St. Vincent de Paul and St. Louis de Marillac in France in the 17th century. In January of 1812, the new congregation was approved by Archbishop John Carroll. And this week, July 19, 1813, 19 sisters, led by their elected superior, Mother Elizabeth Seton, took their vows as the first American Sisters of Charity. The Sisters of Charity spread across the country. They became one of the most prominent American orders, especially active in education and health care. Over the course of time, they separated into various branches. There are different groups based in New York, New Jersey, Ohio, Kansas, Pennsylvania, and elsewhere. The original Emmitsburg location remains today the site of the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. She and her fellow Sisters of Charity took their vows there this week in 1813. And it is pretty cool. If you're going to go to a pilgrimage site, go visit St. Elizabeth Ann Seton and uh, her remains. And that's a beautiful campus there in Emmitsburg. One of my favorite spots on planet Earth. We've got a Catholic pilgrimage through American history linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Check out the Catholic History Trek podcast as well. Kevin Schmeezing, thank you as always. Have a great day. Thank you, Matt. You too. All right, let's check on weather for the nation here on a Monday. Two cold fronts impacting the eastern two-thirds of the nation today. Rain showers and thunderstorms likely for most locations east of the Rockies as a result, mainly in the afternoon and evening. Across the central and eastern U.S., expect pockets of strong to severe thunderstorms and heavy rain. The best chance for dangerous thunderstorms will occur in the northern half of the plains. A third cold front will be advancing through the northwest and northern Rockies. That will also lead to a small chance for showers and thunderstorms. Parts of the Four Corner region into the Great Basin will also see showers and thunderstorms. Dry weather across a few areas today, including California and the Southern Plains. We're back with Anna Mitchell and headlines right after this. It's 14 minutes past the hour. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare. 844-334-3245. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some Monk Shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. Why do we need to pray? We don't pray because God needs our prayers. We pray because we need God's grace. And every day when I face the day, I realize 
I have no idea what I'm doing, <laughs> and I need God to walk me through my day, step by step, giving me the grace, the counsel, the love, the encouragement that enables me to glorify Him in everything that I do and become the person He wants me to be. Prayer is my lifeline. It's a quarter past. Here's Anna with headlines. The Pope's special envoy for peace in Ukraine begins a visit today to the United States. Extreme heat, meanwhile, is baking the U.S. Southwest again this week. And during his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis reflected on the Sunday gospel of the parable of the sower, encouraging the faithful to, like Jesus, never tire of sowing goodness. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Anna Mitchell, you know I'm a big fan of, of uh, the truth and uh, efforts indeed. to seek it. Indeed, indeed. And we're going to talk with Father Larray here in just a little bit about you know how difficult that can be with all kinds of bots and uh, manipulators and people pretending to be other people. Uh, but I was reflecting on the weekend, uh, and you probably see this a lot uh, as well, where someone will do something. And then they face opposition, and people will say, that's how you know they're doing the right thing, because people are getting mad at them for it. Um, Just want to kind of throw it out there that people may get mad at you for doing the right thing, but people getting mad at you is not proof that the thing that you are doing is right. Uh, I get plenty of hate mail. Um, Mm -hmm. Actually, not so much hate mail. Uh, it usually shows up in social media and the occasional email, and I think we get more in like Facebook messages mm-hmm. uh, from time to time. Uh, you know, we get some we get some stuff, and it's pretty nasty. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's rather impersonal. Sometimes I don't even think it was necessarily aimed toward us. I think it's just aimed out into the ether mm-hmm. and caught us in the mix. Mm-hmm. So I've found, and I don't know Anna Mitchell if you have thoughts on this that getting hate mail doesn't make you courageous and correct. You may indeed be those things, but the hate mail is not a proof it's of that. It's not proof of that. The no. hate mail testifies to the character of the hate mailer, not to your character. Indeed. And I think while there is the possibility of of this being the case, most of the time I think we over-spiritualize the things that... Um, we come up against because it is easier to point at you know evil going up against us and it and it does it it works I mean don't like I said I'm not I'm not discounting the possibility of that but we need to I was thinking about this just in light of my own life recently you know looking at all of the the things with spiritual warfare that have been coming out. And I think it's very good and important. But at the same time, I think sometimes we will, we will um, over-spiritualize things so as to take some of the blame off of ourselves um, and, and be able to, you know, pass on, you know, like, I guess my, the way that I, I'm thinking about this, you know, a lot of times there could be people that would, think that they need an exorcism, but really what they need is confession. Well, or they need some better problem-solving skills. Or that. So, for for example, you know, the real reason that um, 
that my effort that to do X, Y, or Z thing isn't succeeding is because the devil's trying to oppose me. When in fact, maybe the real reason your thing is not coming to fruition is that's not maybe a talent that God has put in your wheelhouse as something that you need to be doing right now. Maybe it's just something you wish you were doing and you are not skilled and talented or connected enough to do it. And so it's not the devil's fault. <laughs> it's not it's not anybody's fault other than the fact that like maybe you're 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 throwing your energy and effort behind something that is not the thing you should be throwing your energy and your mm-hmm. effort behind. And maybe you're running into all kinds of opposition because there's something that you need to tweak. And perhaps you know, you might have a lot of people on board with you if you change your tactics. And there may be some people who are encouraging you to do certain things that you shouldn't be doing because you come on so strong and they're just trying to be nice. They're like, yeah, keep writing those poems. I mean, I think maybe you have something here. Or if you go up against somebody's enemy, they're going to make you their ally. But really, that makes for a weak friendship. Anyway, just I say because you say. both have a common enemy. It's very easy to like look out on the landscape and say, see, this person's facing opposition. They must be right. I'm facing opposition. I must be right. Often, it's a little bit deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Aim for the truth, not just for the conflict. It's 21 past. Iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. By underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. A meditation and reflection of St. John Vianney. The Christian's treasure is not on earth, but in heaven. Our thoughts, then, ought to be directed to where our treasure is. This is the glorious duty of man, to pray and to love. Prayer is nothing else but union with God. In this intimate union, God and the soul are fused together like two bits of wax that no one can ever pull apart. Prayer never leaves us without sweetness. It is honey that flows into the soul and makes all things sweet. When we pray properly, sorrows disappear like snow before the sun. How often we come to church with no idea of what to do or what to ask for. And yet, whenever we go to any human being, we know well enough why we go. I often think that when we come to adore the Lord, we would receive everything we ask for if we would ask with living faith and with a pure heart. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Mark Watkins. Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Philip LeRae from Humanity 2.0, and you can find his website linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. We're all always trying to get at the truth in a world increasingly digitally generated. Father, how are you? Good morning, Matt. I'm doing well. Thanks. 
I really wanted to get your take on this one. Recently, a uh, a Twitter user named Erica Marsh caused all kinds of uh, dismay and chaos on Twitter by saying some uh, ill-advised comments in the wake of the Supreme Court's affirmative action ruling. This is someone who claimed to be a liberal activist, but they said something that showed their own position in a very negative light, and everybody was, quote, tweeting and ratioing this person. Only problem is this person didn't exist, and there's a decent chance that even their profile picture was generated by AI. How in the world does this happen? I think what... uh the person behind that did was use uh, the software that is used to make deep fakes. Deep fakes are videos which are completely false and invented, but they look real. It's the, it looks like the person and it's, it sounds like the person. I think the first one that went viral was about uh, Barack Obama and it was done by Jordan Peele. It was probably yeah, I saw that one. It was ago. uncanny. Yeah. 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 But obviously the software has gotten really better now and uh, cheaper. So every, everybody's using it. You may have heard about a young lady whose name is Karen, who taught chat GPT to be her. And she sold her time uh, online. So, so, so you have, okay, you want to talk with Karen, she's a, a nice girl, and she could be your girlfriend. And so it will cost you like $50 an hour to speak with her through, let's say, um, telephone or WhatsApp or uh, what's the what, FaceTime. Okay, so instead of speaking with her, you're going to speak with her double, that is an AI, which is trained to be exactly her. So it will be her image, it will be her voice, it will be her information, because she took four or five days to to train the, the, the software and she made $70,000 in the first week. And she hopes to make $5 million a month, uh, within a couple of, of weeks now. Now that is interesting. That yeah. is interesting because it means that the people who are paying money to speak with her and look at her don't realize that they're speaking and looking at an AI. So I, I think, uh, Matt, just get get used to this and get ready for more of it. Well, and get ready for all the moral problems that come along <laughs> with it as well. You know, as I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about what's also happening. And it's been explored in, uh, well, it was certainly explored in the Battlestar Galactica prequels, uh, Caprica, that this is also um, technology that people are using to try and deal with grief when someone dies and trying to record as many memories and encounters and interactions with people as possible so that, and people are doing this with this, with their pets as well too, <laughs> to try and figure out how do we get as much of that person's information and the way they interacted into some sort of like a digital database. So we still have some semblance of them, but it's never going to be them, right? It's never going to actually be them. No, but it could get close. I call this Facebook immortality. And just last week, I was in London speaking uh, at a convention hosted by Notre Dame, the University of Notre Dame, and I offered um, three types of immortality from the digital world. First is Facebook immortality, where you use an app like Afterlife, I think it's called, and um, everything that the dead person did or posted or wrote on Facebook is now fed into an AI 
and it learns and it 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 will predict what it would say if it, if that person were alive today. The second type is called radical life extension. So we'll live to be 300, 400 years old. There are several companies that are already working on this. Uh, Jeff Bezos has spent $10 billion to form what he calls Altos Lab. It's probably the, the one of the best ones uh, working on the anti-aging, basically. And then the third type is what I call mind uploading. And this is Ray Kurzweil's dream of being able to uh, take your consciousness and put it on a digital uh, some sort of digital platform like the cloud or a server or whatnot. So I've had conversations with engineers in, in Silicon Valley or CEOs. And they, um, you know, I said, are you kind of referring to what we understand as the soul when they talk to me about consciousness and memory and things like that? They say, yeah, yeah, yeah. How can, can we, can we separate the soul from the body? And I said, sure, it's called death. So, <laughs> well, that's and, and, as, as I'm, I'm hearing you using... describe all this, it seems to me like, you know, this is this is us trying to avoid. I mean, we we want to try and avoid, you know, death and suffering. We shouldn't invite it, but we are going to have to deal with it. And you know, it seems to me like trying to create this universe where we never have to deal with it ever again. Well, yeah, I mean, as as we know from a theological view, death is the 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 most profound mystery of of the human being. Uh, death was never part of God's plan and yet we all have to face it so you know what these people in Silicon Valley want to do is cheat death it is the ultimate it's the ultimate challenge and so uh, I, th I think we're going to see some pretty wild stuff in the next 20 or 30 years well all the more reason to be as you know formed as possible on you know our Christian anthropology so we can figure out what to do and say uh, as it uh, continues to advance. Father Philip exactly. Ray, appreciate your time. Have a wonderful day, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, Matt. God bless you. I mean, we talk about this like like it's this brand new thing, but uh, as far as I know, Walt Disney and Ted Williams are still on ice waiting on this stuff to materialize. So, gotta stay tuned. It's 21, pa I'm sorry, it's half past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Joining us again on the Sun. Good morning. Extreme heat is baking the U.S. Southwest. Forecasters in Phoenix say Saturday was the hottest day of the year for the city, which hit 118 degrees at Sky Harbor International Airport. In California, Death Valley topped out at more than 120 degrees. The heat is expected to continue this week as a high-pressure dome from Texas moves westward. Meanwhile, severe thunderstorms and heavy rain are impacting travelers across the Northeast. More from Mark Mayfield. FlightAware reports there were more than 9,400 flight delays within, into, or out of the U.S. on Sunday. More than 1,700 flights were canceled. The severe weather prompted ground stops at John F. Kennedy and LaGuardia airports in New York and Newark Airport in New Jersey. Elsewhere, flash flooding in Pennsylvania has killed at least five people in recent days. I'm Mark Mayfield. The Pope's special envoy for peace in Ukraine begins a visit today in the United States. The Holy See Press Office has put out a press release today saying Cardinal Matteo Zuppi will be in Washington starting today through Wednesday. The Holy See says this is part of his mission to promote peace in Ukraine and alleviate the suffering of the most vulnerable in the country, especially children. Meanwhile, the head of the U.S. Bishops Committee on International Justice and Peace has condemned the Biden administration's decision 
to provide cluster bombs to Ukraine to aid in the fight against the Russian invasion. Bishop David Malloy said in a statement that he and his predecessors have long encouraged the U.S. to enter into the 2010 convention that bans the use of cluster munitions. He said, quote, Pope Francis has addressed the conventions on anti-personnel mines and cluster munitions, exhorting all countries to commit to these conventions so that there are no more mine victims. He said, while recognizing Ukraine's right to self-defense, we must continue to pray for dialogue and peace. And I join with our Holy Father in supporting and sharing in his moral concern and aspiration, end quote. The Holy See's new permanent observer to the United Nations, Monsignor Robert Murphy, has addressed a U.N. panel on sustainable development, saying their development models should advance integral human development. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. In his remarks, Monsignor Murphy reiterated that any policy or program that truly aimed at supporting countries in special situations must put the human person at its centre. This, he said, means promoting a model of development that is not simply focused on addressing the economic or financial challenges faced by these countries, but rather advances integral human development. In this regard, he continued, poverty eradication remains the most urgent challenge that the international community must address collectively to ensure that all women, men and children can develop their full potential and participate in society. Trade plays an important role in this as it can foster economic growth. However, Monsignor Murphy remarked that it can be called just only when it conforms to the demands of social justice and international economic relations are grounded in ethical criteria, especially in the pursuit of the common good and the universal destination of goods, concluding the Vatican representative reiterated that it is essential for the international community to advance development measures that allow each country in a special situation to develop its capacity for innovation while respecting the values of its proper culture. In particular, the provision of international assistance, he said, should never be used to impose forms of ideological colonization or to tie the provision of economic aid to the acceptance of such ideologies. I am Lisa Zengarini. The male suspect accused of fatally shooting four people in Georgia has been killed following a manhunt. Authorities made the announcement Sunday saying, quote, the monster is dead. Law enforcement tracked down the man to a location in the area and exchanged gunfire with him twice before he was, quote, neutralized. The suspect has been accused of killing three men and one woman on Saturday in Hampton, about 30 miles south of Atlanta. In yesterday's update, police mentioned that multiple officers are injured, but it is unclear whether which incident their injuries stemmed from. That's the news. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on EWTN. It's 35 past the hour. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. 
when you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. St. Augustine says that if we want to die well, we must live well. As our life is, so shall our death be. To sum up the matter in a few words, we say that the rule for a happy death is to lead a good life. Placing our trust in the merits of the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, without whom every day would be a terrible and terrifying event. Do not trust your spiritual enemies, even if they leave you in peace for a while. They can initiate a terrible war at any time. Remember, there is no state in life without its problems and frustrations. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Chris Armstrong. Sunrise Morning Show continues on this Monday, the 17th of July. I'm Matt Swaim. It's always great to be joined by Father John Gavin, and we've been going through the Catechism of the Catholic Church, looking at the influence of the Church Fathers in the Catechism, and we get to talk about our old friend, St. Irenaeus, today. Father Gavin, good morning. Good morning. So we're in paragraph 704 of the Catechism today, where we encounter more of St. Irenaeus. What's the context? Well, here we're looking at uh, the action of God as Trinity in the creation of the cosmos, in creation of the world. And it, in this passage that's cited from Irenaeus regarding this, it's, it's a very famous image in which he describes the Son and the Spirit as the Father's hands in, crea- in creation. So in that paragraph that's... Uh, quoted here, I'll just read it, Uh, God fashioned man with his own hands, that is, the Son and the Holy Spirit, and impressed his own form on the flesh he had fashioned, in such a way that even what was visible might bear the divine form. It's, It's a marvelous image that he uses, in this case, it's a citation from a short work Irenaeus wrote called the Epidaxis, the Demonstration of the Faith. Uh, but he also uses it in his longer work, his more well-known work, Against the Heresies. So it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful image to unpack, perhaps, to see what exactly he's saying with it. It is uh, a powerful image to unpack, but it's also one that gets even more mysterious when you think about the fact that uh, no member of the Trinity has physical hands until the Incarnation, right? <laughs> right? right or, exactly, uh, exactly. As God breathes on Adam to give him life, no member of the Trinity has lungs until the Incarnation. So what are we supposed to make of this? 
Exactly. Like, like any image or metaphor, it has its limitations. So, of course, we're not supposed to think with this image that somehow God has parts, like we have hands and arms and so on. Uh, but rather, he's addressing two issues here, I just point out. that The first one is that uh, he is uh, refuting various sects of the time known as Gnostics, who had these elaborate creation myths in which you would have a kind of supreme being and all kinds of subsidiary beings, and sometimes they cooperate, sometimes they're at war. But creation takes place through all these various higher beings. And Irenaeus refutes that, and so, for instance, in his Against the Heresies, using the same image, he writes, for God did not stand in need of these beings in order to accomplish what he himself determined with himself beforehand should be done, as if he did not possess his own hands. For with him were always present the Word and wisdom, the Son and the Spirit. So he's saying God doesn't need any created things to form man, to form the universe, but rather uh, it is the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, co-eternal that create uh, all that we know. And then in turn, he's also saying that uh, creation is an act of, of the singular divine will, but at the same time, all of the Trinity is active in creation. It's not just like the Father does creation or the Spirit or the Son, but rather it, it is a unified action of Father, Son, and Spirit. And so as a result, especially with Augustine, we'll see later, uh, in some way, creation reflects the the life of the Trinity once we have that revelation and we can see uh, see through that gift. So it's a marvelous way of expressing how all of the creation comes from the unified action of Father, Son, and Spirit. Well, it's a fascinating thing to reflect upon, uh, especially if you look at the Mass, because when you talk about what the Mass is— Right, it is mm-hmm. uh, offering the Son to the Father through the Spirit, and we talk mm-hmm. to different persons of the Trinity and invoke different persons right. of the Trinity in different ways throughout the Mass. But, but there's not really any way to like separate them all the way out. <laughs> you know, there's not any any way to mm-hmm. kind of like distinguish them so fully that the Father is alone over in this part of the Mass, and the Son is alone over in this part of the mm-hmm. Mass. Even in the Mass, it's all sort of this. It's us to figure out how to get into the engine room of this you know, Godhead that's all together all the time. That's a wonderful way of, of illustrating this, because, of course, you know, in the celebration of the Mass, you're right, we see, uh, sometimes we're not fully conscious, as we should be, of the presence of the Trinity throughout the Mass, and as you said, we're, we're offering the Son to the Father, but then in the Epiclesis, uh, of course, the priest calls down the Spirit upon the gifts, and and it's it's all present there, and what we see in the Mass when we are truly, uh, fully uh, sharing in the prayer of the Mass uh, regularly, we come to see all of creation through that lens, right? Uh, the redeemed creation in Christ, uh, in the Father and the Spirit. So that's a wonderful way of, of showing how uh, what, what Irenaeus is trying to say here with the, with the hands image. Well, one of the people that helped me understand this best, uh, on my journey towards the church, I was, you know, a musician and a Christian musician, and there's this all, you know, this massive debate in Christian music about what makes music truly Christian, and that leads mm-hmm. to a bigger question of, you know, what makes art glorifying to God, and 
you know, in that I was trying to read a lot of Christian writers who who were trying to articulate this, you know, the idea of Christianity and art and all of it, and came across the work of Dorothy L. Sayers, and she's got this book called Mind of the Maker, and mm. she's trying to discuss, and in all Trinitarian analogies fall short. I mean, there's no way to find the perfect one, <laughs> but she used the analogy of the writer trying to reflect what's going on in the Trinity, that uh, when she's writing a novel, like a Lord Peter Whimsey mystery novel, She's, you know, the work exists in one way in her mind as it's conceived. It exists mm -hmm. uh, in a secondary way, right? Well, not a secondary way, but in another way as she writes it down. And then uh, there's the novel as it is received by the readers. And you can't say that one of those things is the novel and one of those things is not, or that any one of those pieces of the novel, you know, can be the novel without the other two things being part of the process. So, I mean, that even as we create, as we make stuff, we're sort of like mm. reflecting that in some sort of pale, shadowy way. Absolutely, and that, that's like the idea of Tolkien, with you know, sub-creation is a way that he uses to describe uh, the artist in making a world like Middle-earth or something, right? Uh, we, we can't create anything completely new, right? I mean, we, we have to draw on what has been given to us. Only, only God is the creator. But nonetheless, uh, with the gifts that God has given us, in a way we become sub-creators in the way that we participate in what has been given to us by Father, Son, and Spirit. So in turn, yeah, I, I think that in some way, even the things that you know, we create reflect the life of the Trinity uh, to us. And when we have that Revelation, we can see that presence there uh, in what we do. Well, it is a, a an astounding thing to think about uh, what you're being a part of and what you're reflecting, even when you you know draw a picture, right? <laughs> if if that's right. who we're made and if that's who made us. So, Father uh, John Gavin, really appreciate your insights and really appreciate you digging into what the Church Fathers are trying to say. Uh, and how the catechism is invoking them. And we've got your book, The Mysteries of the Lord's Prayer, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. You as well. God bless. I feel like uh, we get to talk about St. Irenaeus all the time with Father John Gavin, and I love it. That is a better way to start your day. We're back with headlines right after this. It is quarter till. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective, while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. 
Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. If you're currently an EWTN media missionary or just interested in becoming one, we've got some great news. EWTN Media Missionaries has a new and improved website. EWTNMissionaries.com, designed with you in mind. Our new site is loaded with great features and it's easy to navigate. There are so many different ways that you can help EWTN. Join us in sharing the eternal word with the world. Visit EWTNMissionaries.com today. Today on More to Life, God help me, these kids are driving me crazy. Got parenting questions? We'll help you find answers. That's today on More to Life. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Matt, I feel seen. Lisa, Lisa Popcheck scoring high on the relatability. I feel seen. <laughs> My goodness. Tune in into that one. Twelve minutes before the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. The Pope's special envoy for peace in Ukraine begins a visit today to the United States. Meanwhile, the head of the U.S. Bishops Committee on International Justice and Peace has condemned the Biden administration's decision to provide cluster bombs to Ukraine. And extreme heat continues to bake the U.S. Southwest, while severe thunderstorms and heavy rain have been impacting travelers across the Northeast. Next newscast coming up in about 13, 14 minutes from now as the Sunrise Morning Show continues here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Father Patrick Briscoe is back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He is editor of our Sunday Visitor. Good morning, Father. Hey, good morning, Anna. Great to be with you. It is great to have you. And we're looking ahead to World Youth Day next month in Portugal. And, you know, there have been some comments recently that raised some eyebrows. They were possibly misunderstood, but definitely had to be clarified. Uh, kind of talking about the point of World Youth Day. What would you say is the purpose of World Youth Day? For me, the most important thing that happens at World Youth Day is that it generates the possibility for young people to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. There are so many things that go into the planning of World Youth Day, so many things that go into making the event possible. And all of that work, I think, has just one goal, and that's making it possible for young people to know Christ in a different way. And I think all of the, all of the scale of the event, you know, all, all of the coordination that the planning arranges, uh, the scale of the event, the travel, uh, seeing so many of their peers, I think all of that goes into all of that goes into fostering the encounter, to, to creating the right environment where grace can be at work. But apart from that, apart from that, there's really no other purpose to the gathering. Well, I know you've been to World Youth Day as a priest, and you wrote about that experience over at OSV. I don't know if you if you were ever there as as a participant, as a, a young person. I know you're so old now. Um, just kidding. You're pretty young. <laughs> but how did you see young people encounter Christ there at that one that you were at in Krakow as a priest? 
So I had not been to World Youth Day before I was ordained a priest. It was just not something that was on my radar. Um, but right after my ordination, I was dispatched. Uh, uh, several of us worked on this project. Um, I was over there for the for the longest um, to World Youth Day in Krakow in 2016. Um, so that was really that was really an incredible event for me because I was a newly ordained priest. And so, you know, when when young people were walking around, stopping, you know, randomly asking to go to confession and that sort of thing, it was deeply moving to me because that was the first exercise of, of my priestly ministry wow. um, was, to, was to hear those confessions of pilgrims and to, and to celebrate the sacraments, to celebrate Masses for, for, for people who are traveling. So it was very much um, uh, very, very spontaneous, uh, very, very spur of the moment, uh, but, but exceedingly beautiful because those are such privileged moments of grace for, for so many. I think that that encounter you know, when a young person goes to confession uh, on a trip like World Youth Day, that, that encounter is, is life-changing. And so there was so much of the priestly ministry that we did there that, that, was, that was aimed at uh, presenting Jesus in a new way or allowing a young person to, to, have, to have a moment of prayer or inspiration that they hadn't had. One thing that we were very attentive to was the liturgy, mm. to celebrate the liturgy with great care, with great reverence. And we've received a lot of a lot of very positive feedback about that from from young people. I mean, that that for me was one of the most impressive things. Um, the last night of World Youth Day um, typically involves a period of adoration with the Holy Father, and so in Poland, there there were over a million pilgrims gathered at uh, Campus Misericordia, as we were calling it. Um, oh, yeah. One priest jokingly called it Camp Misery, but <laughs> Campus Misericordia. Uh, the the Blessed Sacrament was exposed, and a silence fell over the crowd. Mm. You know that 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 many people praying praying together in solidarity, just just absolutely quiet. I mean, there's there's nothing like that in the world. So so the reverence of the reverence of young people could be very inspiring as well. Wow, and that silence. You know, you think about the the call of God and and the still small voice that He has. What do you think could be the effect of World Youth Day on vocations? Well, this, uh, this I think, is just a, a tremendous result. Many, many people find their vocation at World Youth Day. And I, I know this is a fact from Krakow, from some of the young people that I accompanied, but from, from many others who have told me since, oh, that was the first time I thought about being a priest or thought about becoming a religious sister, or that, that was when I decided to marry the person I was dating. I mean, we, we, saw, we saw many vocations come out of World Youth Day in Krakow, and that was part of Pope John Paul II's dream for World Youth Day, is that it would help young people find their vocations. Uh, and I think we're abs- we are still absolutely seeing that in the Church. Uh, so it's a mistake, then, to imagine that World Youth Day is just a big party. I think some people have that, that impression of it, and it's not. It's not just a celebration. Um, it's, a, it's a radical encounter with Christ, wherein people hear Christ speaking to their own hearts and discover his plan for their lives. You know, I, I'm glad you used that image of the party, because that is largely what you hear people kind of compare World Youth Day to, is this this big party. And if we're going to use that metaphor, I know you just said you don't like it, but let's let's just for <laughs> argument's sake here, use that that metaphor Shouldn't Jesus be the organizer of the party as opposed to it being, you know, some big party organized by church officials where Jesus isn't really or explicitly invited? 
exactly. Well, you know, I'm fine. I can use the party. Uh, it's like the it's like the wedding banquet. The, yeah. the Lord uses the metaphor Himself to give us a taste of of what heaven is going to be like. And I think for many people, that's that's what we're using. It's just a preview um, because you're being able to live each day radically for for Christ in a way that you can't in your regular life. That's that's what a pilgrimage is, where you can be just just singularly devoted to Him in in an extraordinary way. And you know, I think that the the the, the point about vocations coming out of World Youth Day, I was just looking at the Kara study, um, the most recent ordination class, a full 10% of men who have, were ordained just this past year said that they have attended a previous World Youth Day. I mean, I think those who have found and answered the call, especially to a religious vocation, but to the married life as well, I mean, the fact that vocations come out of this tell you that this is not just some emotional mountaintop experience from which they come down. They actually stay at the, the top of the well. They don't come down. They don't come crashing down, I guess. They come down like Peter, James and John did from the Transfiguration with a mission. Right. That's right. And, and that mission is to testify to what they have seen. Yeah. Um, so, so not only did Peter, James and John have the mountaintop experience, but, but young Young people are able to come back from World Youth Day and say, this is where this is where I saw the Lord, where yeah. I never had an experience like this. Yeah. Go read Father Patrick Briscoe's piece on World Youth Day. It is about Christ or it's about nothing at all. You can find it at our Sunday Visitor, which is linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father, really appreciate your thoughts this morning. Thank you. Hey, great being with you. God bless. You too, Father. Thank you very much. All right. We got another hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up for most of our affiliates here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Family.com. Arise, it's a new day. Hear his word. On this Monday, the 17th of July, let's pray together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Morning prayer of St. John Henry Newman. May the Lord support us all the day long till the shades lengthen and the evening comes and the busy world is hushed and the fever of life is over and our work is done. Then in his mercy, may he give us a safe lodging and holy rest and peace at the last. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All prayed up on a Monday morning. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thank you for being along here on this Monday, the 17th of July. My goodness, this summer, it has flown. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. And up this hour, Teresa Tamio will join us from EWTN and Ave Maria Radio's Catholic Connection. We'll talk to Monsignor Charles Pope about uh, the problem of authority and 
how it is connected to the crisis of catechesis in the church. Father Robert Nixon will talk about the violet and uh, why it, among the flowers, can uniquely represent the virtues and qualities of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Then Stephanie, Stephanie Mann will dig into some more English history with us, looking at the zeal for martyrdom of Blessed John Sugar and Blessed uh, Grisold. So we're going to uh, get some more English martyrs talk on a Monday. It's English Martyr Monday. Um, that's usually when Stephanie joins us. So, two minutes past, news of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. Extreme heat continues to scorch the Southwest. Forecasters in Phoenix say Saturday was the hottest day of the year for the aptly named Valley of the Sun, which hit 118 degrees at Sky Harbor International Airport in California. Death Valley topped out at more than 120 degrees, and the heat is expected to continue this week as a high-pressure dome from Texas moves westward. It's already approaching 100 degrees in Phoenix at this hour. Meanwhile, severe thunderstorms and heavy rain have been impacting travel across the Northeast. The Pope's special envoy for peace in Ukraine begins a visit today in the United States. The Holy See Press Office put out a release saying that Cardinal Matteo Zuppi will be in Washington starting today through Wednesday. The Holy See says this is part of his mission to promote peace in Ukraine and to alleviate the suffering of the most vulnerable in Ukraine, especially the children. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan is defending the Biden administration's plan to provide cluster munitions to Ukraine. More from Mark Mayfield. Appearing on NBC's Meet the Press, Sullivan dismissed the suggestion that the U.S. has lost its moral authority because of President Biden's decision. He noted that neither the U.S. or Ukraine signed the Convention Against Cluster Munitions, agreed to by more than 100 other countries. Sullivan said the nation's moral authority comes from supporting a country that's under brutal, vicious attack by its neighbor, Russia. I'm Mark Mayfield. Meanwhile, the head of the U.S. Bishops Committee on International Justice and Peace has lamented that the U.S. and Russia have not signed the Convention Against Cluster Munitions and condemned the Biden administration's decision to provide these weapons to Ukraine to aid them in the fight against the Russian invasion. Bishop David Malloy said in a statement that while recognizing Ukraine's right to self-defense, we must continue to pray for dialogue and peace. He pointed out that more than 100 countries, including the Holy See, have signed the 2010 Convention on Cluster Munitions, banning their use and recognizing their indiscriminate nature and risk to civilian populations long after fighting has ceased. During his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis reflected on the Sunday gospel of the parable of the sower, encouraging the faithful to, like Jesus, never tire of sowing goodness. From Vatican Radio, Francesca Merlo reports. In commenting on the parable, Pope Francis looked into the image of sowing, focusing on the freedom of the person to accept or not to accept the word that is the seed and insisted on Jesus' obstinacy in trusting that the soil, the heart of each person, can be fruitful. Così fa il Signore. Jesus, the good sower, said the Pope, does not tire of sowing it with generosity. He knows our soil. He knows that the stones of our inconstancy and the thorns of our vices can choke the word, yet he always hopes that we can bear abundant fruit. Pope Francis then went to address, in particular, parents focusing on their task of passing on the faith. 
The Holy Father noted that parents should not be discouraged if at times their children do not seem to understand or appreciate their teachings. The good seed remains, explained the Pope, and will take root in due time. The Holy Father then turned to young people, and in particular, the ways in which they too can sow the word. The Pope focused especially on prayer and closeness, explaining that it is a small seed that you cannot see, but with which you entrust everything you live to Jesus, and so he can make it ripen. He also urged young people to take the time to dedicate to others, to those most in need. It may seem lost, he said, but in reality this is holy time, while the apparent satisfactions of consumerism and hedonism leave one empty-handed. Finally, Pope Francis addressed priests, religious and lay people, and urged them not to be discouraged if they do not see immediate success when proclaiming the word. Let us never forget, when proclaiming the word, even when nothing seems to be happening, in reality the Holy Spirit is at work and the kingdom of God is already growing through and beyond our efforts. I'm Francesca Merlo. You know, Matt, um, speaking of the parable of the sower, yes. um, I don't know if you – so last week when um, when I was talking to Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, head of the uh, – you know, when we do our Friday, Sunday mass reading reflection, you do it with Father Jonathan Duncan. Um, he was talking about – it's called the Cove of the Sower. And if you look at this area – so Jesus is on this boat – and then he's he's in this area that kind of creates this natural amphitheater. But if you look at a picture, you can just Google the cove of the sower and see all of those different examples that Jesus was giving. They're all present right there. Like as he's cool. looking at it, he's pointing out these things to the people. I mean, it just goes to show you how much your natural landscape can be can can talk about what, you know, like <laughs> God's mind, you know, like you can see it in creation. And and this is just one very specific example of it, that, that God speaks to us through creation. Well, it is, I mean, as I've said many times before, there's certain parts of the Bible that you can sort of understand, but if you want to understand them better, you should go fishing and have a garden. Yep. Even if your garden is, as Rita Heikenfeld would say, you can garden in a teacup mm-hmm. and you'll still learn something. Yeah. It's so true. Still still help the Bible make more sense. Yep. So true. Teresa Tamio now joining us from EWTN and Ave Maria Radio's Catholic Connection. Teresa, you grow any stuff? Do you uh, you Um, got a tomato plant out there in the backyard or anything? Well, you know what? No, because you know what Deacon Dom calls me when it comes to planting? He calls me The plant murderer? No, Morticia, which is just as bad. You remember Morticia (laughs) from the, I think it was from, uh, was it the Adams family, right? And she'd cut the roses off and she'd just (laughs) have them left. Well, I did grow a, a bamboo plant once in the house. And that oh, well, no, died. hang it on like a it's second. Very, it's very difficult to kill bamboo, and I, I was did, about to say, so. bamboo grows, I mean, that's one of the worst things you can do to your neighbors is just sneak over and plant a bunch of bamboo in their yard in the middle of the night. No, it's, it's I'm not good at that. Dom is. Tom, Tom's a very good gardener. Very good. Well, well mm-hmm. good. Well, yeah. he did, see, but he has to be because he's got to preach on these Gospels where Jesus is using all these gardening analogies. I love that from yesterday. I love the Holy Father's uh, audience, too, or his uh, Angelus message. And do you know what? I wanted to add, and I've actually been to the place that Annie's talking about on many of my trips with Steve Ray and the acoustics around around that cove in that area. It's actually uh, between Capernaum and Tabga, which is uh, the main area where, where Jesus preached, right? 
and it's it's naturally, um, I mean, very acoustically powerful. It's very very cool. But I love the fact that I didn't find this out till much later that the word broadcast is not just pertaining to radio, but it pertains to farming when you scatter the seeds as opposed to putting them oh, evenly yeah. in rows. Isn't that as cool? To narrow cast. Yeah. Well, yeah. That is fascinating. That is yep. fascinating. Well, since we are, uh, I mean, I'm a broadcaster and I do garden casually. Well, there you go. I'll take out both helms. Well, Teresa, I know that uh, people lean on you all the time because you're paying attention to stuff that other people aren't paying attention to, and you're coming at it from angles that other people aren't coming from. And uh, you've been, even though you're a Michigander, you do care what's happening in Ohio. So, of course, uh, I do. I care care about uh, Ohio. I'm very. I have lots of good people in Ohio. uh, Not to mention our listeners, but I have personal friends in in the Dayton, Cincinnati area. But, but what concerns me, I'm concerned about this because something terrible that happened in Michigan last year is now happening not only in Ohio, but they're basically going out and they're marketing it all over the place. And you know what I'm talking about? That's that horrible abortion amendment that's coming up uh, for you guys this year, and I, I was telling Paul that I've, I've been doing some uh, pro-life media training for some people who are speaking out against it, and it is just uncanny the way this is a carbon copy of what happened in Michigan, even the way they got the signatures. Now, I know they had enough signatures to, to turn it in uh, to, to, for approval to see if it can actually get voted upon, which it probably will. But people just need to know about this because it, if it's not in your state, it's going to be there soon. And also, we should be concerned about what's happening in abortion in every state because it affects all of us. And to me, what is so sad in, in, in Ohio, you guys are doing so much to help women. I know that there's just an increase in support for pregnancy resource centers. And I saw this quote from a pro-abortion lawmaker in your state saying that, oh, it's, it's just terrible that the governor signed a measure that is going to restrict women from making their own choice. And I'm like, what? It, you know, it's just the opposite with pregnancy resource centers. They don't hold a gun to people's head and say you have to have an abortion. They give them the information that they're not given at abortion facilities. And here you have more money going toward pregnancy resource centers and also medical help, counseling, physical help in terms of clothes and needs, parenting classes. And how can a politician be against that, even if you support legalized abortion? So people need to understand what's going on. And I would really encourage them uh, to look for the story. It was a story that came out, I think, about two weeks ago. I think it was on the Daily Signal. But a man went and had a camera running while he was interviewing one of the men gathering the signatures, and the man asked him a question about, well, I see there's no age limit. There's no mentioning of age when it comes to who can get an abortion. And the man who was collecting the signatures is trying to avoid it and trying to sound, you know, very balanced. He says, oh, well, that's because we believe anybody should be able to get an abortion. Everybody has reproductive rights. And he says, even a child? So a child can go and get something as serious as an abortion without their parents' knowledge. Oh, I got to go, I got to go. Thanks. It's obviously not going to sign the petition. And then he finds out he keeps them around a little longer, and he finds out he's getting paid between 20 and 25 bucks from groups like Planned Parenthood. So people have to understand that they're keeping the language on many of these measures sort of vague, and you really have to read between the lines. And if there's no age limit when it says reproductive rights for all, what does that mean? And in Michigan, it now enshrined it in the Constitution, and it also means that underage kids can go for quote-unquote transgender surgeries and start taking puberty blockers without their parents' knowledge. So people have to do their homework. They have to get a heads up on this, and they have to be aware because people think, oh, NIMBY, not in my backyard, but it will be coming to a backyard in a neighborhood near you, I can guarantee it. We went through all of this in Michigan last year, and we did not do well, despite the fact that so many of us, including Ave Maria Radio, worked so hard to defeat this proposal. People did not pay attention. It was, it was really, really sad for us here in the Great Lakes State.
Well, it's important for us to be, you know, as you would, you know, you bang this drum all the time, uh, media literacy, uh, because right. it ends up defaulting to the loudest extreme on the right versus the loudest extreme on the left. And uh, to be honest, uh, the fundamentalists on the right, they sometimes help us, but they sometimes hurt the cause, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the progressives mm-hmm. on the left don't understand us at, at all, and they're aggressively, you know, coming after us. I, I'm just thinking of, like, one example uh, of, of how a story like this got distorted on the left and on the right, and I'm like, ah, uh, when you know when Roe v. Wade was being overturned and people were saying uh, all these things about how uh, you know people are not going to um, seek needed medical attention if they have a miscarriage and need the child, you know, the, the you know, a, a, a doctor to perform an operation to remove the miscarriage because the doctor. I, you know, won't do that because of a fear of being arrested because of these laws. Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. wait, who's saying that? Like, where is this right. law? Like, show me where this mm-hmm. law is. Right. Uh, the, and, uh, you know, you come to find out that the only people spreading the information that these people can possibly be arrested are actually the pro-abortion people. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, mm-hmm. wait, I don't know any pro-lifers who are saying we should <laughs> arrest someone who assists uh, in medical care. In the wake of a miscarriage, so yeah, with all this, yeah. you gotta you gotta take a deep breath and figure out all right, what's really happening? Not what are the yellers yelling about, but what's really mm-hmm. happening? And and unfortunately, that inquir- that requires work, that requires conversations, that requires dialogue, as opposed to just the easy thing, which is post some angry stuff on social media about how other people are stupid. You got to figure out how in your own family, in your own relationships, to have like real live conversations about this stuff. Also, I, I, you have to read the amendment. You know how many people I talked to that signed it and didn't even know because they, they didn't read it? And they said, well, we, they were just scared by what you just said. They used that exact example. Well, they said it was going to really hurt women medically. I mean, I'm pro-life, but I don't want women you know, being restricted from different procedures. But they did not read the amendment, and they did not say, you know what, I, I need to look this up, and I need to take some time to think about this and do some homework. They said, no, I just signed it because it sounded really scary. I said, did you read it? No. They didn't read it. They didn't even read the amendment. And so this is really important for us, and we think that you know, we, we can't be subject to things like that. We all get busy. We all may get over-emotional. We may want to, as you said, act this out on social media. We've got to stop. We've got to take a breath. We've got to pray, and we've got to look at what's happening because these, these types of amendments are going all over the country. I spoke in um, South Dakota last year, last November, and I gave my testimony. I spoke for one of our radio stations, and the person from Right to Life of South Dakota came right up to me and said, we, we're going through the same thing. They're going to be bringing up that, the, the same amendment here next year. And so it's not just in one or few states. It was successful in Michigan, and that was the example. If they could do it there, because we had a really strong pro-life state. Right to Life in Michigan has been around forever, Barb Listing, so many great groups. If we could do this in Michigan, then we could probably do it in other areas that have strong pro-life leadership. And that's what they're doing. They're marketing this thing around the country. So we need to read, we need to pay attention, and we really need to ask for God's help to make sure we're discerning properly. I can't say this enough. I, you know, as I said to Paul, I just went through this whole process with you know a lot of people who are going to be speaking and, and training them and how to you know approach the interviews and when they get out there in second media. Not to twist anything. Media training is not twisting. It's helping people learn the skills and how to be media literate when you're on the air and not and not be caught up in an angle that a particular reporter or producer wants to you know pull you along into. But we have got to be savvy and we have got to stand up. We've had a lot of victories in addition to Roe v. Wade since then. But there's a lot more work to be done, and I'm really really hoping that Ohio can be just the opposite of. What happened in Michigan last year? All right. Well, thank you so much, Teresa. We'll keep an eye on it. We'll keep an ear on what you've got to say about it later this morning on EWTN's Catholic Connection. Awesome. Uh, 
co-produced by Ave Maria Radio. Have a great day, T. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great week. God bless. Bye-bye. 17 past. We're back right after this. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the monk shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. Divine Intimacy Radio. When you engage with the wisdom of saints this way, it stokes the fires of God in our hearts, encourages us, strengthens us, and gives us wisdom to deal with the difficulties of life. It also gives us wisdom that allows us to rise above all of the junk, to live with joy and peace in the midst of even the most difficult circumstances. Divine Intimacy Radio, Sunday, 6.30 a.m., 1.30 p.m., and 11 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. 19 past. Here's Anna with headlines. Extreme heat continues to scorch the southwest as severe thunderstorms and heavy rain are impacting travelers across the northeast. The Pope's special envoy for peace in Ukraine is beginning a visit today in the United States. And the head of the U.S. Bishops Committee on International Justice and Peace has lamented the fact that the U.S. is providing cluster munitions to Ukraine. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. I don't know, you know, if anybody out here is doing this with regular, you know, regular attention. But I know that uh, over the years I've known a lot of people who they pray the rosary to, uh, you know, for all sorts of ends and purposes. But one of the main reasons that Our Lady has encouraged us to pray the rosaries for world peace. Right? I know, right? For world peace, uh, for an end to war and violence. So uh, as you're making your petitions, with everything else, make sure that you're including that uh, in your rosary intentions. It's 21 past. Our least tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. I am Bishop Roger Foys of the Diocese of Covington with a reading from The Imitation of Christ. If only I could find you alone, O Lord, and tell you all that is in my heart, then I could enjoy you as much as my soul desires. Then you only would speak to me and I to you as a lover does to a beloved or a friend to a good friend. This is my one desire and what I pray for, to be entirely united to you and to withdraw my heart from all created things, that by holy communion and the frequent offering of Mass, I may learn ever to delight in the eternal things of heaven. Dear Lord, when shall I be completely one with you and entirely forgetful of myself? You in me and I in you. I am Bishop Roger Foyes of the Diocese of Covington for Sacred Heart Radio. It's 23 minutes past the hour. Happy to have you along with us on the Sunrise Morning Show on this Monday, July the 17th. Joining us again on the Sunrise Morning Show is Monsignor Charles Pope. He writes for the Archdiocese of Washington at blog.adw.org, and you can find him online at monsignorpope.com. Good morning, Monsignor Pope. Good morning. So over at the ADW blog, you've got a series of articles based on a presentation that you gave about, well, I, I mean, I guess what we're going to talk about today, sort of the the history of where things kind of went awry in terms mm-hmm. of the crisis of catechesis that we've dealt with yeah. in the American church in recent decades. And what I want to focus on today is is the issue of authority. Can you give us an idea, first of all, about how this issue played into the crisis of catechesis that we had? Yeah, you know, I think we had a, a magnificent system, in a way, set up, you know, during the immigrant years where we had big Catholic schools. Uh, in fact, Catholic schools were so essential that a lot of bishops told their priests to build the, the school before the church, <laughs> Use the auditorium, build the church later. Wow. It was wow. so, uh, but we had huge numbers of priests and religious sisters. And the basic, I think, unintended message was that look, we're the professionals. Leave the catechesis of your children to us, and uh, we'll do a good job. We'll make sure you don't make mistakes. You're busy. You're, you know, you're, you know, immigrants, of course, had terrible lives in many ways with heavy work schedules and so, and so on. So leave it to us. We'll, we'll educate your children practically for free. And uh, a catechesis will all be done by us. So it, we moved, you know, religious, it, we, we began to think of religious education as a kind of a subject, something you do in school, at the church, but not at home. And I think that this was, the system worked, and there were, there were good things about it, to be sure, because, again, for some of the reasons stated, but also, you know, as I say, we had huge numbers of priests and religious, but of course, it's, we all know that whole thing collapsed um, in the mid-60s, and... Um, Huge numbers left, and um, we were still left with this system that sort of said, "Well, professional catechists and others." So we try we try to get lay people involved, but still, you sent your kids to school or, or to the Catholic school or to the church for CCD 
Sunday school, what have you, to learn the faith. This was not something that we thought about doing a lot of it at home. And that's the kind of professional class problem and authority. Parents weren't really equipped. And after a couple generations of that, they really weren't. <laughs> we, t- we taught children, but we never really taught adults. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you sort of ended up with an eighth grade religion all your life, you know. Yeah, and one of the things that I found really interesting and really want to encourage folks to go check out this series of of articles that Monsignor Pope put up over at blog.adw.org on the issue of authority specifically, you talk about the Baltimore Catechism, which I love. Mm -hmm. Love the Baltimore Catechism. So clear, so concise, but there are Mm -hmm. some issues in terms of, okay, here's the question, here's the answer, and you don't get much deeper than that. Yeah, and so the, uh, the process is a little kind of what we might call perfunctory, or it, 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 it de- deals with the surface of things, but it, it doesn't ask you to go deeper. Okay, so if God may be to know him, love him, serve him this life, and be happy with him forever, what does that mean practically from day to day? Um, what does it mean to know him? What does it mean to love him and serve him? But what is heaven all about? You know, do I long for it? You know, so we, we never maybe probe the depths of that. It's one, and kids are great, by the way, learning, you know, really quick, perfunctory answers. That's what they're good at. Uh, and, and, all, so, and good because it gave substance. But on the other hand, when do we ever get around to discussing not just the what, but the so what and the now what? Exactly. And so can you explain what is perhaps a, a misunderstanding that many Catholics have when it comes to authority? Because people think that, you know, the rules, everybody thinks about the rules in the church, right? Mm-hmm. The rules are the rules because the church says so. And that's just mm-hmm. it. But that's not really what, what it's all about, right, Monsignor? Yeah. So something is—the Church does not—something isn't true because the Church says so. The Church teaches it because it's true. And even with God, I mean, we always, we always want to hold that God isn't just, you know, setting up arbitrary things and, like, hoops for us to jump through. Uh, something isn't true because God teaches it. It's, it's, it. God teaches it because it's true. He reveals it because it's true. So this this argument from authority that something is true because some authority says so, rather than it's the authority says so because it's true, is sometimes called voluntarism. There's different terms for it. But at the end of the day, it leads to two reactions. One was the one I think we had when I was a little kid, which is, well, okay, we had kind of respect for authority in those years. But after the Cultural Revolution of the late 60s, if authority is saying it, all the more reason to ignore it and to refute it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so if authority is, is the whole point, then we, we get into these types of stances yeah. of either rebellion or whatever. Anyway, and so we want to say, look, it's true. It's beautiful. Listen to the truth. And explore it. And explore yeah. it. We've been talking to Monsignor Charles Pope, and you can read his piece on this over at blog.adw.org, which is linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Monsignor Pope, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Annie. You bet. Yeah, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, particularly with how I, you know, discipline my children, that I tell them you're allowed to ask questions um, because there's a reason why I'm telling you to not try to bowl your sister over with a pillow because she'll fall down and hit her head on the concrete floor. I don't know. That was just an example that came to my mind. Totally not based in reality. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, you can connect with us at the sun. 
on our website, sonrisemorningshow.com. You know, we've been hearing from a lot of listeners that they listen to the Sunrise Morning Show via our app um, on your smartphone or on your smart speaker. And so I want to put the word out there if you're uh, listening right now. Hello to all of you listening via the Sunrise Morning Show app. And if you don't have it, you can download it. Find the link at sonrisemorningshow.com. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Extreme heat is baking the U.S. Southwest. Forecasters in Phoenix say Saturday was the hottest day of the year for the city, in which it hit 118 degrees at Sky Harbor International Airport. In Death Valley, California, it topped out at 120 degrees. The heat is expected to continue into this next week as a high-pressure dome from Texas moves westward. Meanwhile, severe thunderstorms and heavy rain are impacting travelers across the Northeast. More from Mark Mayfield. FlightAware reports there were more than 9,400 flight delays within, into, or out of the U.S. on Sunday. More than 1,700 flights were canceled. The severe weather prompted ground stops at John F. Kennedy and LaGuardia airports in New York and Newark Airport in New Jersey. Elsewhere, flash flooding in Pennsylvania has killed at least five people in recent days. I'm Mark Mayfield. Air quality alerts were issued for several U.S. states yesterday because of the thick smoke from Canadian wildfires returning. The National Weather Service said those included mush of Montana, South Dakota, Iowa, Minnesota, Illinois, and Indiana. Yesterday afternoon, officials labeled the air quality in cities like Chicago, Indianapolis, Detroit, and Des Moines as unhealthy. There were nearly 900 active wildfires across Canada over the weekend. The Pope's special envoy for peace in Ukraine begins a visit today to the United States. The Holy See Press Office has put out a press release saying Cardinal Matteo Zuppi will be in Washington starting today through the 19th. That's Wednesday. The Holy See says this is part of his mission to promote peace in Ukraine and to find humanitarian solutions to alleviate the suffering of the most vulnerable in the country, especially children. Meanwhile, the head of the U.S. Bishops Committee on International Justice and Peace has condemned the Biden administration's decision to provide cluster munitions to Ukraine to aid in the fight against the Russian invasion. Bishop David Malloy said in a statement that he and his predecessors have long encouraged the U.S. to enter into the 2010 convention banning the use of cluster munitions. He said, quote, Pope Francis has addressed the conventions on anti-personnel mines and cluster munitions, exhorting all countries to commit to these conventions so that there are no more mine victims. While recognizing Ukraine's right to self-defense, he said, we must continue to pray for dialogue and peace. And I join with our Holy Father in supporting and sharing in his concern, his moral concern and aspiration. The Holy See's new permanent observer to the UN, Monsignor Robert Murphy, has addressed a UN panel encouraging the advancement of integral human development. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. In his remarks, Monsignor Murphy reiterated that any policy or program that truly aims at supporting countries in special situations must put the human person at its centre. This, he said, means promoting a model of development that is not simply focused on addressing the economic or financial challenges faced by these countries, but rather advances integral human development. In this 
regard, he continued, poverty eradication remains the most urgent challenge that the international community must address collectively to ensure that all women, men and children can develop their full potential and participate in society. Trade plays an important role in this as it can foster economic growth. However, Monsignor Murphy remarked that it can be called just only when it conforms to the demands of social justice and international economic relations are grounded in ethical criteria, especially in the pursuit of the common good and the universal destination of goods. Concluding, the Vatican representative reiterated that it is essential for the international community to advance development measures that allow each country in a special situation to develop its capacity for innovation while respecting the values of its proper culture. In particular, the provision of international assistance, he said, should never be used to impose forms of ideological colonization or to tie the provision of economic aid to the acceptance of such ideologies. I am Lisa Zengarini. Yesterday marked one year since the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline became a three-digit phone number 988. Federal officials say around 5 million calls, chats, and texts have been fielded since then. That's the news. It's 35 past the... This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the monk shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, Can the bond of Christian marriage be dissolved by any human power? The bond of Christian marriage cannot be dissolved by any human power. Henry VIII would disagree, of course. But we have to recognize that Jesus himself said, What God has united, no man must put asunder. Marriage is a gift from God, and it's a gift to the man and the woman until death. In other words, the church takes people at their word. You say that you want to love them for the rest of your lives. You say that you vow to be true to them in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health. Well, then, this is what God gives you. With his grace, he is going to maintain that sacrament no matter what may happen. And so then, let us recognize that marriage is something that lasts until death, so that those who live it may truly receive the graces that God intends so that they may keep the faith. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. It's 37 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 
Father Robert Nixon is a Benedictine monk at New Norcia in Australia, translator of the Tan Resurrection series. We've been going through Crown of the Virgin by St. Ildefonsus of Toledo. Father, it's good to have you back. It's fantastic to be with you, Eddie. So today we are on to the 16th place in the Crown of the Virgin, which St. Ildefonsus uh, places the violet in it, uh, a, a flower Indeed. that's rather familiar to to most listening right now, I'd venture to say. And it sounds like St. Ildefonsus is rather fond of this flower. He he is absolutely. He describes it as the most beautiful, the most gorgeous of all flowers. So um, for him, it is a very fitting gift to offer Our Lady to place in this position within this crown, which he's fashioning for her. So how does the violet represent the Blessed Virgin Mary in the mind of St. Ildefonsus? Well, he tells us um, that this, he's, he says, I offer to you, O oh my love, the most gorgeous of all flowers, a violet, to position in the 16th place of your royal diadem. The violet is of the richest purple hue, wonderful in its fragrance, and endowed with healing powers. Well does this flower befit your crown, for it faithfully strives to imitate your virtues. You are indeed a violet of purity, of modesty and of chastity, and a violet of sweetness, of sanctity and of love. So he talks about this wonderful uh, purple colour and also speaks about the healing power which the violet was believed to have in the Middle Ages. They really believed that different kinds of plants, different flowers had their own particular properties. You know, and I really love how he he puts it here in that the violet strives to imitate her virtues. I was I was thinking about this in light of um, Romans eight, in which Saint Paul talks about how creation is groaning in labor pains even until now to to get back to yeah, that day indeed. when they can fully embrace in, what yes. what God made them to be. Indeed, and you know, we often we don't think about um, with non-human things so much the virtues and the graces that they're uh, gifted with, and also the fact that having for their own form of um, of perfection, of restoration, for as you said, what God intended them to be. So I think it's a beautiful thing to talk about the virtues of this flower, striving to imitate the Blessed Virgin. And of course, he's, it's somewhat metaphoric, but I think it's still a beautiful way of, of reflecting upon it. Yeah. And uh, can you tell us about the prayer that he writes? This one, beautiful. I feel yeah. like you should put this one to music, Father. Yes, indeed. So uh, this prayer in the original um, was was written in rhyming Latin. So when I translated it into English, I, I made it rhyme myself. And um, it's, it's very wonderfully expressed. O cloud, cloud of fulvid light, sublime in astral height, O blooming branch of grace, the glory of our race, made fruitful by the dew which love rayed down on you, make tender stony hearts your grace to us impart. You are true wisdom's throne of luminance unknown, the cedar tree divine, the verdant fertile vine. God's pardon for us seek, O maiden mild and meek, O snow-white lily flower, O queen of untold power, O empress of the skies, delight of weary eyes, of paradise the door, the refuge of the poor, our God's most cherished mother, surpassing every other, 
Release us from our fears in this dark veil of tears. Preserve us from despair. Protect us by your care. Help us to be true to Jesus and to you. Amen. So that's the prayer which he finishes. And you're, you're right, absolutely. I think that would make a make a lovely song if set to music and would, would work with music very easily, I think. So I might just do that, Annie. Uh, great suggestion. Excellent. Well, I will look forward to listening to that once you uh, get around to uh, composing some uh, some melodies to, to go with it. And I just want to close by reflecting on those last lines of that prayer and help us to be true to Jesus and to you. Because I, I don't think that we can ever stress enough that our devotion to the Blessed Mother is so that we can increase in devotion to her son. Indeed, they, they can't be separated. Whenever we see the best images of the Blessed Virgin, she always has the infant Jesus in her hand. So to pay her homage is to pay him homage. And nothing brings Jesus greater joy than, than the respect and love which we show to his mother. So the two are really inseparable. We've been talking to Father Robert Nixon. The book is called Crown of the Virgin by St. Ildefonsus of Toledo. And you can find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com, part of the Tan Resurrection series. Father, it was so good to talk to you. Thank you. God bless. Goodbye. Thank you so much, Father. Really appreciate it. Yeah, Matt, I think that point is an important one to make, um, particularly when you talk about your work with the Coming Home Network and how the Blessed Virgin Mary can be... um, Ah, what's the word I'm looking for? Not, well, I guess, I mean, what? St. Paul calls Jesus a stumbling block, so I suppose we could say that the Blessed Virgin Mary could be a stumbling block to those who uh, are considering coming into the church and they find it hard to accept um, this idea of, of loving and venerating the Blessed Virgin Mary um, probably would be horrified um, as Protestants reading something like the crown of the Virgin. And yet that point that Father was just making, that when we venerate her, what we're really doing is venerating her son through her. Yeah, it's uh, one of those things where, you know, what you're caught up on most of the time. I mean, I'm not dealing, when I'm talking to people who are interested in the church, I'm not usually dealing ultimately with dogmatic stuff. I mean, people are trying to like work out the immaculate conception like they work out like a crossword puzzle or a logic problem uh, <laughs> or something like that. Mm-hmm. What they really get hung up is on, on is stuff like in the Hail Holy Queen, you know, our life, our sweetness, and our hope, <laughs> you know, or or some of this like over the top devotional language that exists in things like the Memorare. So, you know, that's uh, that's much less of an apologetics thing mm-hmm. that people are dealing with and much more of sort of an emotional hang-up. Yep. Suddenly you're showing all kinds of like overt affection for someone who has been largely invisible to you this whole time. Mm-hmm. And yet, and yet, if we are to follow Jesus and Jesus followed every commandment perfectly, we are to honor I know that mother. he didn't have Hallmark holidays, but if he had, he probably would have made the best Mother's Day card of all time. Mm-hmm. Right? So... All I can say is, you know, if Jesus honored Mary that way, then not only do we honor Mary the way that Jesus honored his mother and father most perfectly, but 
You know, I mean, that's just an extension of how Jesus calls us to honor everybody who's made in his image and likeness. Yeah. But Mary is the one who Jesus actually took his physical image and likeness from when he assumed full humanity. Right. And I would encourage folks to now I, I recognize that this is not scriptural, but tradition has uh, the account from St. John the Apostle of the Dormition, of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And I would encourage you to go read it. Um, it's, I believe, New Advent. In fact, I know New Advent has it because I have, um, I have taken it from there um, to use in, in talks that I have given on Marian devotion. And... You see what Jesus says in that account when he comes to take his mother up to heaven, body and soul, upon her death. And oh my goodness. I mean, it'll give you chills. You can Maybe see that our Lord, I will, you know, I will. I'll put it up on put, our Facebook page. Put a link page. on up there. On the because Facebook. it is so beautiful. It is so beautiful, and you will just be amazed at well, the, other the thing miraculous that, you know, things that happened aside from her assumption bodily. Um, you know, the the apostles all miraculously getting back there to be at her side in Jerusalem when she was taken up to heaven. I mean, it is so so well, one amazing. Of the things you know, a lot of people have a lot of different conflicting opinions about the chosen. I certainly have conflicting things about the chosen mm-hmm. uh but one of the things that i think it's causing a lot of people who maybe ever thought about this before um is seeing mary and all these scenes hanging out the apostle with the apostles like she's their team mom like i think a lot of people yeah. are kind of warming up to that devotional stuff or kind of seeing how it would be possible that the early church would have had this you know overt fondness for her that maybe is invisible from their own tradition i don't know yeah. i don't know yeah well, well we're back hope. right after this It's 13 till. I'm Matt Swain, grateful that Visiting Angels underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide to continue living at home rather than a nursing home. Experienced, compassionate caregivers provide assistance in hygiene meals and light housework, and services are provided up to 24 hours per day with caregiver selection before service begins. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Are you looking for peace, longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. EWTN, communicating the faith. 
had to go through fear and thank God that I overcame the fear and I just left it up to God and now there's no more fear there's just acceptance and I'm just learning to listen if you want to be closer to God you just need to keep following his rules and your application your radio station has helped me to always be positive and continue to listen to the rules and obey EWTN live truth live Catholic Today on More to Life. God help me, these kids are driving me crazy. Got parenting questions? We'll help you find answers. That's today on More to Life. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 11 till. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Stephanie Mann from supremacyandsurvival.blogspot.com. Stephanie, good morning. Good morning, Anna. So good to have you back. And we're continuing to read through Father Bowden's mementos of the English martyrs and confessors for every day in the year from Sophia Institute Press. And today we are going to get the story of a priest and his friend, Father John Sugar and Robert Gisold. Um, Both died as martyrs on July 16th. They were beatified by Pope St. John Paul the second. So let's start right. with the story of Father John Sugar because it's such an interesting story. He was actually anti-Catholic to begin with, wasn't he? Yes. And I, the one thing I couldn't find, you know, I go beyond what Father Bowden says, try to find out some more about uh, these martyrs when I, whenever we profile them. And I couldn't find out what changed his mind. But yes, he was evidently raised, well, he's born in, in the uh, mid 15th 16th century 1558 uh so england has been anglican for 20 years or Mm. more and so he is uh uh by the time he's executed it's already it's been 20 years since they've been really persecuting catholics at least and so he was raised evidently in the church of england and he went to college but he did not take his degree because he would not take the act of supremacy which which is kind of strange if he was anglican and yet he served as a minister and he yes he was very anti-catholic and very much uh against the papacy he preached against the papacy very heartily in his sermons as a as an anglican minister but something changed his mind and i couldn't find out what but it must have been something about the papacy that changed his mind that he realized that jesus had established his church on the rock of Peter and Peter's successors were uh, in Rome. And therefore he became a, a, he went to, he left England, went to Douay, became a Catholic priest and came back as a missionary to England in 1601, you know, toward the end of Elizabeth the first reign. And so I just wonder what changed his mind. But well, just one more reason to get to, to heaven, becoming... Stephanie, so that we can find out all of these yes, things, get all exactly. of, get the whole yes. story, if you will. Well, tell us right. about his his ministry um, as a Catholic priest, which really continued right up to the moment of his death. Yes, and that is the amazing and wonderful thing about these martyrs is their zeal in the midst of all the suffering. Because he'd been arrested in 1603 and was held in, in jail in Warwick, uh, it, which is where in Warwickshire where he was serving Catholics and uh, in a, the Midlands of England. And he was finally brought to trial in 1604 in July and then brought to his execution on July 16th. And when he's on the scaffold, he's 
there's dialogue with an Anglican minister. And finally he says, you know, how do you think Christianity came here? How do you think the knowledge of Christ came to England in the first place? And the minister doesn't know. And he says, well, it's, you know, it's St. Lucian, uh, it's, it's King Lucius, Lucian in, in, the, in the early second century or late second century who uh, receives missionaries sent from Rome, from uh, Pope Lutherius, who uh, had sent two missionaries to, to England to catechize and convert England to Catholicism. And so that's stunning to the minister. There's no more dialogue about it. So yes, he, there he is testifying to the fact that, and this, this kind of goes along with some other of the martyrs who say, you know, you know, uh, you would have, the, if you're condemning me as a Catholic priest, then you would have condemned St. Augustine of Canterbury, yeah. who was sent by Pope St. Leo the Great, yeah. or Edmund Campion, who says, in condemning me, you've condemned all your, your forefathers, all those priests, all the bishops, who, Catholic bishops who had been sent from Rome to uh, uh, establish the church and continue the church in England. So yes, he's even at the very end, he's providing apologetics and providing an argument for the fact of he, that he's a true Catholic and, and that he has that beautiful line, oh. the beautiful line in which he says that I, that this is his true life. My true birth in this world began with the sign of the cross. And with that sign, I leave it again. As so, he blessed the rope the noose that yes. would be put around his neck neck and then yes. following him in martyrdom on that same day is a uh, blessed robert grisold who was arrested for associating with right. father sugar by his own cousin i mean talk about um, yes. you know like jesus came to to bring the sword and it's separating mother and father and i mean Clearly, you see this this playing out in in real time during the the English Reformation. So they die yes. on the same day, and Blessed Robert witnessed the martyrdom of his friend Father Sugar. Yes, yes, because the priest went first. In fact, he was being dragged to the place of martyrdom on a sledge uh, and it, through mud, and Grizzled was told, "Well, you don't need to." walk right behind him he says i will not leave him now for a little mire mm. i've been with him so long and served him so well and grizzled was being a layman they wanted to uh, avoid having to execute and hang a, a layman like this uh, he was offered over and over again if he just went to a church of england service he would be pardoned and he'd be freed and he refused consistently and he uh prayed devoutly the, the, during his imp imprisonment and particularly on the day of trial and execution to Saint his, his patron saint, who was St. Catherine of Alexandria. Wow. So very beautiful. But he also, but his great moment was that he feared the sight of blood, but he actually dipped the noose that was going to hang him into the priest's blood and then, then uh, faced his execution. Such bravery at the, that last moment yeah as father bowden says be able he, to overcome great fear yeah gave god thanks that he was to die with father sugar just two incredible stories that we're getting today um, from stephanie mann you can find her blog linked at sunrisemorningshow.com stephanie thank you Thank you. Talk to you next week. Sounds good. Look forward to it. All right. That'll do it for this national edition of the Sunrise Morning Show. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.